Hey there, welcome to The Me Show Mission, two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble, and as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are starting a month-long celebration of black science fiction. We like to call it Afrofuturism or black sci-fi. That's what we're doing. (laughs) And tonight, Vince selected the world, the flesh, and the devil, starring Harry Belafonte in a 1959 post-apocalyptic drama brought to you tonight on the Michaud Mission. But as always, we like to first start with all of the feedback that we get from each and every one of you, our Michaud missionaries that reach out to us via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, our Facebook fan group, as well as on email at michaudmission at gmail.com, where a lot of people have been having fun with my suggestion about I don't know if we could do a Prince biopic, which is not actually what I said. I just said I don't think it needs to be a miniseries. I saw you kicking the beehive over and stomping on it, and I tried to get you, but you don't listen. First of all, first let me first— You don't listen— Let me first thank each and every one of you that came out to um, the Bryn Mawr Film Institute this past Saturday. Yes, yes. Our screening and talk back of Jordan Peele's Us. Yes. We had a very good time. Met a couple of missionaries there, um, including uh, Jacob Mazur. Yes, yes. We didn't meet you. We know Jacob. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curated there. Right, right. And thank you for inviting us, Jacob. And we really appreciated that. We had a good time there. Um, Jacob who was the first one <laughs> to take me to task yeah, yeah, yeah. about, you know, whether or not there should be a Prince. But I didn't say that Prince doesn't deserve a biopic. I just said it doesn't need to be a miniseries. Yes. And I, and when we could quibble about where the biopic goes. Right. 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 Um, Jacob had his own thoughts as yeah. to where it would, yeah. would go. Maurice <laughs> Poplar had a 12 part have you read all of this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maurice Poplar said, Len, you're smoking crack. Yeah. <laughs> you on the crack cocaine. It's a stretch to call Prince one of the most transformative figures of the 20th century. Paul Rubens in that space. And yeah, you, y'all all do some Emperor Jones. Yes, we are. Okay. Yeah, we are. But history will remember him fondly. Much more fondly than a two-hour biopic. <laughs> Anyone could come up with an interesting 12 chapters of Prince. He didn't change the game, but he was one of the best at it. Now, wait a minute. If he didn't change the game, then why does he need 12 chapters of, of a biopic? I, I think Maurice lays out his case because he was a singular artist. So... I give to you, ladies and gentlemen, Prince uh, Maurice Poplar's Prince miniseries. 
Episode one, The Kid and the Record Company. An agent discovers music, musical boy genius who, coached by his father, negotiates better than he should. Episode two, Black Man, White Music. <laughs> Prince releases Dirty Mind, has a problem being programmed on white or black radio, embraces his otherness, records controversy, Michael and Prince, Michael Jackson, that is, face off at a James Brown concert. Did that really happen? Oh, yeah. They faced off at a James Brown concert? Yeah, yeah. Well, face off is strong, but he brought them both on stage and had them both sing. Oh, what's up? Anyway. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, <coughs> both of them are notoriously competitive. Mm-hmm. So it did, you know, it's, it's right there. Face off isn't inaccurate. Episode three. What time is it? Uh-uh. Constrained by his brand. Prince spurns his childhood friend Morris, approaches Alexander O'Neill to front his funk band The Time. He then has already recorded, but Prince has already recorded everything, so Alexander says hell no. Prince shrugs his Rick James mentorship, releases a competing funk album. Nobody cares about the story of Morris Day. No, 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 no. It's not about nobody cares now it's about does anyone care after they've seen it like you can't say this isn't interesting stuff oh brother anyway episode i'm already i'm already checked out episode four q michael 1999 the album 1999 drops terry lewis and jimmy jam get fired michael jackson and quincy jones push back the release of thriller to add more bass and synth in response to in to 1999 Episode 5, Purple Haze. Madonna arrives on the scene only to be dethroned by the the cinematic and sonic assault of Purple Rain. The making of Purple Rain, Vanity quits after the album uh, mix. MTV embraces Prince. He wins his first Oscar and Grammy. Okay, fair enough. Episode 6, Sheila E. Kiss Maserati and the Family. That, enough said right there. Episode 7, The Black Album, a.k.a. by Wendy and Lisa. Okay, that's a chapter when he, when he says goodbye to Wendy and Lisa. I can say that because that, that was a rough one. Uh, episode 8, Miles and Madhouse. Miles being Miles Davis, if I correct? Yeah, yeah. And Prince don't come to terms, so Prince launches his Madhouse project with Eric Leeds. Uh, he's looking over his shoulder. Rap is changing the musical landscape. George Michael is on his, he- is on his heels. Episode 9, Slave and the Sign. At the height of his powers, Prince is a superstar with super concert production around the sign tour. Diamonds and Pearls, so he go- he's going to do another film, Graffiti Bridge, but the studio is pulling a fast one. And Prince is high, but not that high. Okay. Then we got episode 10, The Baby and God, which speaks about um, him working outside the, the studio system, him being frustrated with the internet, the, the death of his daughter, uh, and then running into Larry Graham and becoming a Jehovah Witness. Episode 11, Musological Renaissance, which is all about... Um, his rebirth with the the album Musicology, and then episode twelve, one fine morning, as the world mourns Michael Jackson, Prince is on the ascend. He's rock star royalty. He is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He mentors D'Angelo, Michelle D'Angelo, 
Janelle Monet, Questlove, and many others. But then the the pills begin, and uh, we fast forward to his demise. That's Maurice Popular's pitch for a Prince miniseries. Twelve parts. Twelve parts. That's about a good nine parts too many. That's ridiculous. That's not ridiculous. It's not, here's the thing. Every single chapter, like, there is something interesting going on. Like, he's right. I mean, this is the argument. He's right in the middle of everything happening. So that it's it's not like none of this is filler. None of this is, you know, Prince is training or Prince is, you know, I don't know, hanging around the house. Like, he's always in the mix. So, you know, but moving on, and look. All, and all of them are different from one another. Like, you know. We got an email from Lance Hansen. I'm leaving you on. Hey, what's up, Lance? Maurice on that island. Well, it should be interesting to see what Netflix does. Like, I don't know how long. Yeah, they're doing it. Ava DuVernay is doing a documentary on Prince. Yes. I don't, as far as I know. I don't believe it's set to be a multi-part dom- documentary. Right. So, but it should be, you know, now we'll have like a baseline. Mhm. Yeah. Oh, there's stuff for a documentary. I'm not saying a man's story is not interesting. I just question pulling the those narratives sound more like a very interesting documentary as opposed to a story I need to see all of that dramatized. That's all. That's all I'm saying. You know, if it if Ava DuVernay, who I do not doubt her documentary skills of anybody has seen 13, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's a beast with it. If she's able to pull off something that is even half as good as the. Uh, Teddy Pendergrass documentary that is on Showtime right Which now, I still haven't seen if you don't know me by now. Right. Then. That'll be. And how long is that documentary? It's probably a good two hours. Two hours. Okay. But it's good. Yeah. It is really, really good. There is there is a scene in there from Teddy Pendergrass over in London. Mm-hmm. Like like probably month, like maybe a month before the accident. And he's singing. Oh, what he's he's singing a Beatles song. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it is right now, but he's singing it. But he's giving it that Teddy feel, right? Right. And there was talk about like his next album. He was going to see if he couldn't now do this for the album, right? Right. And man, when you. It, Hear him sing it. I wish I could think of what the song was right now. Um, he he rexifies that John man. Mm-hmm. He he destroys it and resurrects it on the stage. The man was is just so effing powerful. Uh, and I watched that and I was like, yo. And and it's not recorded. It, it, it's only just that concert right, footage. Right, right, just the concert footage. It's, yeah. It is absolutely amazing. If you watch the documentary for just that, yeah. it's worth it. Circle back, and there's something that Maurice didn't do. 
you can have an entire documentary about Prince fandom. <clears throat> like you said just now about the, the concert footage, like you can do two hours mm -hmm. of that whole subculture of Prince fandom in trading concerts and 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 the black market for Prince stuff and how Prince kind of embraced it in many ways and also like like the, you know people moved to Minneapolis and kind of went to see him every night when he had those pop up shows in um at his mansion and at those clubs so but go ahead Lance Hansen Lance Hansen sent us an email What's up Lance um this is in regards to our Last Dragon episode. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, I just listened to your Last Dragon episode, and as always, I love the insight into this film. Thank you. I would highly recommend this podcast to any students of film, film theory, film criticism. Oh, thank you. Apart from just spotlighting great films, of which you've done many, it's your deep look into what might otherwise be dismissed as a mediocre or even poor film such as this that I find most fascinating. I happen to love this film, but more for its campiness. Yes. Vince's breakdown of the scene in the fortune cookie factory was simply amazing. Thank you. Precisely the type of thing that keeps me tuning in. Though you neglected to mention the song playing in the background of this scene, uh, Suki Yaki Hasaki Su, you sake yes. to me, I'll sake to you. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Anyhow, I'd love to hear Vince and Len debate the merits of the fish that saved Pittsburgh. Now, I haven't seen this one since it was in the theater, and I'm quite sure it's terrible, but who knows? <laughs> it could make for a good show. Plus, with Dr. J, you've got the Philly connection. There you go. We are Keep up the great work, Lance Hansen. We're overdue for the Fish That Save Pittsburgh. Here's the thing. I've walked the line of choosing a fish that saves Pittsburgh so a couple of times. So have Because I. Dr. J is like one of my three idols in my life. Yeah. And Stockard Channing yeah. is one of my sweet spots of acting. She's actually much better in The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh than and, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh deserves. Well, she, yes, yes. Including The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, she is, yeah. Um, so we're overdue. We are overdue. To, to, be, to be honest, though, and to Lance's point, it it may have to be part of May I Have Another. Oh, no. Dude, I've I I did watch this movie again maybe about three or four years ago. Yeah, you had no fondness for it, like I, I you know, I, there's there's a fondness like for like it? may I, mother like mother may I have another of our films that I thought should like make us angry or or we really didn't want to watch it. But I mean, just a silver soundtrack. Mighty mighty Pisces, ooh, ooh, gonna bring you to your knees. Oh yeah, mighty mighty Pisces, now you're making history. Oh yeah, and the Silvers came out and did their little stuff, and Debbie Allen was the head cheerleader. You know that's where she met. Uh, what's his name? 
her husband. Oh, really? Yeah, that's where they met I did, on, I... on the set of The Fish That Say Pittsburgh. Oh, uh, well, no, I did not know that. Yeah. One. Norm Nixon? Is that right? Yes, Norm Nixon. Norm Nixon, that's where they met. Legendary uh, Los Angeles Laker. Yeah. Yeah, he was Magic he was Johnson. playing for the what was the name of the Los Angeles team in the fish that saved? Because remember they couldn't oh, use that's right, they couldn't the, use the NBA names. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I, for, I forgot that. I yeah, for, uh, I forgot what they were called. The, uh, like the Los Angeles Rockets, or like it was, but they were the, they were evil. Yeah, they were the evil team. Yeah, but yes, Lance, we we are we're overdue. Yeah. It was, we're overdue. <laughs> it's a real, it's a real. Rough. You pick it from other man if you want, but I'm gonna just tell you, I'm gonna have a ball with it. Okay, well maybe I won't pick. I it won't be one. angry with you. <laughs> uh, Joanne Blaylock. Hey, what's up, Joanne? I'm at work listening to your color purple review. Yes, Lord. I love y'all so much for this. Oh, thank you. This movie is hands down my favorite black film, mainly because it's the first one I remember seeing and thinking, hey, everyone in this one looks like me. How about that? The book is phenomenal. Every black woman should read The Color Purple and every black person should see this movie. I'm near tears just listening to you guys talk about it. It's a masterpiece. Yes. Yes, it is. And thank you for listening. Thank you very much. And that was a good episode. That was fun yeah, with, uh, with Denise thanks and Denise. The, I was about to say thanks to the Denises. That was a, a, a very good time here on the Michelle Mission. So uh, thank you, Joanne. Um, we're already running a little late. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's what happens when you get these long emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't get, a, get the time to get into like a lot of the, the nitty gritties that people have gotten back to us about and stuff um and people have dropped news items and all this type of stuff in our facebook group um anything time sensitive well i'm I'm, that's what i'm looking for through now because the letters are evergreen as we say in the business oh look at you (laughs) you like that right look at you 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 like that right we had that meeting a few months ago and then they, they say that our episodes are evergreen. And I said, well, I like that. <laughs> Lance just listened to The Last Dragon. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the beauty of it. Right, right. You know. so add space on that in perpetuity. I'm just saying. Lance just listened to it. Jamal, no, this is an interesting What's comment. What's up, Jamal? This is a stupid little comment. He says, Jordan Peele understands that a bad hairline makes people look <laughs> like villains, just like a goatee or a scar on your face. Us really prove that. Oh, 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 oh. oh that's terrible. <laughs> and Christopher uh, Goodnight. What's up, Christopher? Noted that he had uh, listened to another podcast and heard me being wrong about us. What, what did you say about us somewhere else that was wrong? Well, on Gutter Talk, a uh, comic book com- podcast and doing Black Tribbles Network, um, I mentioned honestly, just being that I did not think that us stuck the landing. Right, right, right. And, you know, at the time I'd only seen us one time and I was, I came out maybe a little bit more negative than I actually mean about the uh about the movie 
Um, I still don't feel like it sucked the landing, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm fine with the film. But uh, yeah, he, that's what he was talking about. You know, I, I wasn't wrong. I, I voiced my opinion. My opinion can't be wrong. Oh, your opinion can be wrong. What? It can actually objectively be wrong. Well, okay, that's fair. Yes. That's true. Fair. Oh. All right. All right. Speaking about us, Sabrina Hafiz said, I can't hey, wait until up, you review the movie Us. Yeah. I saw it yesterday and can't, can't stop thinking about it. It's the kind of movie that chills you to the bone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we actually, the recording of us, or Vince and I, yes. <laughs> at our a screening we will be making that available uh this weekend right and to be clear that's the talk back it's just a talk back so right it's so a review. It's, at, at some point we will do a proper episode right yeah no only fair okay all right there, there's a whole ton of stuff here but we just don't have the time and we've got to get into our movie yes um but before we do that i just want to take a moment if 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 you will allow me vince to i shall <laughs> send an invitation out there to all of my um, uh, fellow podcasters who are ladies or whether or not you do a podcast that is all ladies hosting or a podcast that is led by a lady or a woman, I invite you to become part of the Women's Podcast Festival. It is actually respect colon the woman's podcast festival it's going to be taking place here in philadelphia in august 24th and 25th and amalgam comics and coffee house is being brought to you by the black tribbles you can go to respectpodfest.com for all the information on how you can submit your podcast or if you're interested in being a vendor or even possibly a sponsor go there and get all the information respectpodfest.com or womanspodfestival.com. Either way, it gets you there. Even if you just go to blacktribbles.com, there's a link there that'll take you there. Get all the information about this great event, the Respect, the Women's Podcast Festival, coming to Philadelphia this August. Thank you, Vince. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Um, and we have big news about things coming up for Vince and I this summer where you will have opportunities to check us out live. More information coming to you next week. Ooh. Until then, let's get into our review of The World, The Flesh, and The Devil. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. New York, as no man has ever seen it, empty, deserted, its teeming millions gone. This is the setting for the most unusual picture ever filmed. I know you're there. You're staring at me. Move! The most 
most daring idea ever attempted in motion picture entertainment. The last three people alone in the world. What are the emotions of this girl facing a future that no woman before her has ever known? What of the men, torn by basic human emotions, as they stand on the brink of the unknown? Here is a film that crashes through time and the future. It may stun you and shock you, but above all, it will grip your imagination as no film has ever done. Do you want to kiss me? Make love to me? Then go ahead. Kiss Sarah. me. Make love. Sarah. Oh, now. Oh, now it feels. Make me forget everything. We have only one problem. There are two of us and one of her. What are we going to do about it? Why don't you toss a coin? The sweetest wine in the world is the fruit on the Powerful sci-fi drama from 1959, directed by Ronald McDougall, and starring Harry Belafonte, Inger Stevens, and Mel Farrar. Vince's selection for this stop on the Michaud mission, reading the synopsis from IMDb. Ralph Burton, Harry Belafonte, is a minor who is trapped for several days as a result of a cave-in. When he finally manages to dig himself out, he realizes that all of mankind seems to have been destroyed in a nuclear holocaust. He travels to New York City only to find it deserted, making a life for himself there. He is flabbergasted to eventually find Sarah Crandall, portrayed by Inger Stevens, who also managed to survive. Together, they form a close relationship until the arrival of one Benson Thacker, who has managed to pilot his small boat into the city's harbor. At this point, the tensions rise between the three, particularly between Thacker, played by Mel Farrar, who is white, and Burton, who is black. There are no laws, no rules. It's man to man with the last girl on earth at stake. A unique, spectacular drama packed with more surprises, more amazing sights than you've ever seen. The world, the flesh, and the devil on the Michelle mission. What say you, Vince? This is a film that, that really is another example of, of why I love doing this podcast, frankly. Because I'd never heard of this film in, until maybe a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. I, I think just just talking about either last year, I think last year was our first year doing the um, Black Sci-Fi Month. Yes. And I was looking for movies, and I remember a film had come out starring Jeffrey Wright mm-hmm. called Z for Zachariah, which frankly has this exact same plot. You know, black man thinks he's the last person on earth, meets a white woman. There's tension basically from from race, frankly. And then another white man shows up. And when I was reading about that, I heard about this movie okay. that came out in 1959. And, and, you know, first and foremost, this this film really hits two two of my of, of my spaces as a science fiction fan. 
I really, really have great affection for what I call those almost gentlemanly, genteel 1950s science fiction films. Okay. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of schlocky 1950s films, but you think about something like the original invasion of the body snatchers. Or, or it came from outer space. Mm. Or, you know, my one of my absolute favorite films of all time, like like without, you know, not science fiction, not this, but films, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Okay. Where you have these filmmakers who use science fiction to send a message. And, Ask some and, hard questions. And, and you answer hard questions. And, and, you know, certainly we're all talking about the Twilight Zone the past couple of weeks just because Jordan Peele's interpretation debuted this week. And, mm. and certainly you think about the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits. And I think this film fits into that tradition. I'm also a fan of Last Man on Earth movies. Oh. Like, like just Last Man on Earth movies. I, I think maybe the most famous story that's been told three different ways you, you know the i am legend story mm. you know the first one in the 50s which was not necessarily one of the earlier films i was just speaking of with vincent price retold in the 70s as omega man right with um charlton, charlton heston. heston and then remade in in maybe my favorite version of it something that has been shortlisted for me during this month i am legend with will smith mm. a few years ago and shortlist because I do think there's something provocative about a black person being the last representative of humanity. Yes. So I come into this with really high expectations mm -hmm. about what this film is going to be. And, and I have to say that as a package, as a whole film, I really, really enjoyed this film. I, I think the script is really smart. I, I think the storyline is great. I think, you know, when you when you have this this last man on earth plot, you really have to establish this sense of isolation that this character has. And, and the two main ways that this is done, either well or not well, is through set design and music, you know, sound design. I love the music. You know, I love the strings and they're very evocative and moody. And, you know, they they did not really chintz on the sets. No, they did with not. With this film. I, I mean, there are at least 12 distinctive sets mm -hmm. that they have set up that look like they are post-apocalyptic. There are a couple of sets where, you know, I have to say, because, you know, frankly, I watched it on my computer. I had a hard time telling were they outside shots, you know, sort of on location shots, or were they on a back lot? Right. But if they were on a back lot, they were some big lots. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the choices that McDougal made with the shots, there are a lot of shots of Belafonte's character as a small figure mm -hmm. by himself. Yes. And and so I love that part. Like I said, I, I think the script is nice. I'll start with the actors and, and you know end with Belafonte. I like Mel Ferrier. You, you know, I wasn't familiar with him. I think he had you know in a lot of ways 
I mean, I guess Harry Belafonte had the hardest job, but I think his job was hard too because because he comes in at the tail end of the film. Okay. When, you know, these two other characters played by Belafonte and Inger Stevens have established themselves as, as characters. Mm-hmm. And now he has to sort of come in to throw a wrench into it. And I thought his performance was realistic as this third person, you know, to come in and regardless of of the politics of race in 1959, I like the fact that while sort of default, he was the antagonist to a certain degree, he still had a lot of presence. He still had a certain amount of charm. He certainly had a certain amount of um, chemistry with Stevens. He and uh, Belafonte in this, their scenes together, nothing really to write home about. I wasn't mad at it, but I liked him. Um, Inger Stevens seems like a face I've seen before. Yeah. I liked her a lot in this. Like, like she was actually my favorite actor of the three. Okay. I, th- I think she is charismatic. I think she is 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 smart. I think the you know I think there's chemistry between her and Harry Belafonte. I know you know there's one scene in particular where he was cutting her hair that was actually for 1959 between a black man and a white woman sensual, and you know you kind of get like you really understood this tension, this sexual tension between the two of them. And then holding the whole thing down is Harry Belafonte. And, and, you know, anyone who has listened to this show, I know you're not the biggest fan of Harry Belafonte or his acting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm certainly not going to die on a hill fighting for Harry Belafonte. Right. You know, I like him a lot in Uptown Saturday Night. I thought he was I. In Carmen Jones, but you know, like I said, I'm certainly not going to fight somebody that hard about Harry Belafonte. But in this, I get it. Like, I think you completely understand why Harry Belafonte was a star. Okay. I think he has a lot of presence. I think he has this kind of breezy, affable charm about him. I think this is one of the few films that I've seen with an actor who's actually a musician that the parts where he sings didn't seem shoehorned or forced. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, going back to just this subgenre of, of the last man on earth, I think one of the marks that you have to hit is you need to show the moment where despair and madness start to slip in. And I think there's a moment where he shoots off the gun and he's sort of yelling and, and he throws a mannequin out yeah. of his apartment yeah. where you get the sense, oh, he's act- like he's starting to be a little off kilter a little mm. bit. And then, you know, Stevens comes in and it turns into a brand new movie. But at the end of the day, you know, at an hour and 34, I, I will say, I feel like between Stevens and Belafonte, the film maybe leaned on their chemistry a little bit too much. Like I could have dealt, I could have, it could have breathed a little more. Mm-hmm. Like, like I think it, it really kind of, it, it, it made assumptions 
of the audience that, okay, you see these two people, you can see they're drawn to each other. Let's keep this thing moving. And I could have used a couple more scenes of that, almost to the point where, frankly, as much as I liked Mel Ferrer, I don't know if I needed him. Mm. Like, I think the, the, the complication of society being out there, even through the radio, mm-hmm. could have held this together without him coming in. And then when he comes together and, and you know, it ends and it's, you know, it, it, you can tell it's, it's the beginning of the civil rights movement. Like, it's so amazingly optimistic that, you know, you give peace a chance. Although I think I, I think the film is saying that the three of them are about to go off and have a three way marriage, which, you know, I guess it is a new world and new rules. But it reminded me of an extended episode of the Twilight Zone the original run of the twilight zone yeah in yeah. a very good way and and i i really really enjoyed it i was bored stiff on um a lot of this movie i like the idea well first of all i like the title mm-hmm. something about the title is like very inviting like i had never seen this movie before either mm-hmm. so the world the flesh and the devil okay see where this is going you know harry belafonte I don't know. I'm going to let you y'all give him the whole movie. All right, let's see what y'all working with. Um, and uh, Harry Balafonte does not disappoint me um, because I wasn't expecting much, and he I don't feel he gave a whole lot. I think that there the 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 story itself and the plot, especially as it begins and builds the world of isolation for him. And this post post apocalyptic space that he's finding himself in, that he's discovering, I think that's well done. I just don't think he gets it across. I think his acting lets it down. The visuals are there. You feel the scale of this last man on Earth for the first 30, 45 minutes of the movie. From him uh, standing in 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 the middle of these empty cavernous, you know, echoing skyscrapers, to him coming along streets of parked cars just in the middle of the road where people just left, you know, um, it paints that world expertly but I don't 100% buy into it because I don't buy into Harry Belafonte I just I I just don't get anything off of him even from the beginning of the movie when he gets buried underneath this in this mine shaft I'm not getting any, I'm like, first, and I'm not getting anything, any desperation from a man that has been buried in the mine shaft that he tells us he's been down there for five, seven days. Mm-hmm. I don't feel any desperation off of him at all. So much so that when he finally decides, oh, I'm going to get out of here and decides to get out of there. It looks so easy 
I'm like, well, why didn't you do that three, four days ago? Right. Because when he sets his mind to it, it looks like he's maybe out of there in, let's say, conservatively, two hours. Right. You know, it, he certainly doesn't look much more worse for wear when he gets out. You know, because not only does he like have to, it, it's not like he digs himself out of a mine shaft. When he finally gets out, he comes out a door. So he, he's, it's like, dude, you could have done this three, four days ago. And then when he comes out of there, he he doesn't sound like a man who's been uh, away, underground, for a week or maybe more, only to discover the world as you know it is gone, totally obliterated. None of that reads for me. And I think that is more a failing of the actor than the movie itself, the, the script or the direction. Because he uh, rightly doesn't have a lot of lines outside of like, yo, calling out for people. But then it's just what do you make of those moments? What do you make of what are the choices that you, you make as an actor for those words? And I found his choices giving me nothing so and that continued throughout the movie and because of that as much as i wanted to be drawn in to the to the uh to the cinematography and to what the director was trying to tell me is happening i couldn't get fully invested because i wasn't feeling harry belafonte so then 45 minutes later inger stevens comes in Inger Stevens, you like Inger Stevens. Inger Stevens, I, a, a, a noted fan of classic movies. This is not my first walk through the park with Inger Stevens. Mm-hmm. Uh, most famously, she was in, I think, High Plains Drifter, I believe. With um, She was in The Naked Jungle. She's in The Naked Jungle. But she's also in Hang 'em High. That's what it is. Hang okay. 'em High with um, Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, boring me to tears in that movie as well, as as the as the love interest. Um, and in this movie, she is all over the place, and I, I think she's trying to play manic because who wouldn't be manic at these times? Right. But it just doesn't read as convincing to me. I don't see any chemistry between her and Harry Belafonte. Oh, she completely wanted to have sex with Harry Belafonte. I'm not saying, well, I don't see any chemistry between them. I don't see any. And therefore, I'm not buying into this at all. Now, Harry Belafonte, for his, his part, as their relationship goes from friendship to nearing the points of romance and he begs off because he thinking of the society of 1959 Mm -hmm. is yo, people are not going to go for 
you a white woman with me a black man. Um, never mind, there's nobody out there. Right. Once he, he, he is asked to make that choice in the movie, then I think he starts to latch on to something acting-wise. And he starts giving me a little something. Not a lot, because I don't, yes, I don't think much of him as an actor, but he latches on to a little bit. And he's giving me a little something, like the whole scene where you said when he, he's cutting her hair. Mm-hmm. There's a little something there. Um, I don't, so so I'm like, okay, I'm interested. In a, I see what you're kind of saying here. But then comes Mel Ferrar as the Thacker, Benson Thacker. Mm-hmm. You like Melson, uh, Mel Ferrar. I, renowned classic movie fan, know Mel Ferrar to be one of the biggest stiffs who has ever walked bef- in front of a camera. He has always been, in everything he has been, he has been stiff, 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 stiff. And when he comes into this movie, he is walking with his two stiff legs and his two stiff arm and his stiff chin and he is boring this movie. What what did you want these people to do exactly? I wanted them to present the story to me. And and what what does that mean? That means act the lines that you were giving. And all three of them with the possible exception of Harry Balafonte after a certain point in the movie are doing nothing but boring. They are boring. Inger Stevens is either overacting or woefully underselling things, and Mel Farrar is is just uh, is giving me nothing the entire movie. That alone, that plus once he then comes in, the story then becomes this whole um, two guys chasing after the girl thing which is interesting it's kind of interesting they give a couple of lines of dialogue where you know okay maybe we're going to go somewhere here Inger Stevens says something about you know when are you when one of you guys want to ask me what I want right you know I'm like okay yeah let, let's 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 go let's run with this they don't go anywhere that doesn't go anyplace the the um it's never called to task, or at least not that I felt, about how the Thackers, Mel Farrar's character, wants Inger Stevens, um, Harry Belafonte, the magic Negro, steps out of the way so yeah. that he can so that he can get her, and he feels bad about that. And all of a sudden, he gins up some stupid war with her. Well, war with Harry Balafonte. Why? Because he doesn't want to force himself onto Inger Stevens, well, and even though he says he could force himself onto Well, and, and he says it. He says that Belafonte stepping aside isn't him being good. It's him putting me in the position of being the bad guy. So, like, this, this sort of grand gesture of stepping aside is sort of passive-aggressive in and of itself. I mean, he says that. Like, that's what he says. Yes. So his, so his, okay, fair enough. But then his answer for that, 
is to get a gun. And no, we need to duke it out. Now, that seems to be like, you know, stepping on a throttle and taking it to 60. Right. I admit. But let's do something with that. Let's talk about it. Let, let, let's, let's go there, okay? You know, what, what, is, what is it? What does that say about man's impulse to just jump straight to war, you know, over something such a, so well, innocuous? I mean, it's the last woman on earth. Yeah, but you're going to war over her? Yes. Who's ever heard of some men fighting over a woman? Okay, but let's have a commentary on that. It, 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 I don't. I don't feel that there really is any commentary on, on, on there in this movie. Or if it, if or if it really is there, it's not hitting me I mean, because you've got three of the dullest. I just don't actors know in the wanted. world trying to deliver your I message. I just don't know what you want. I want a better movie. No, no. no I want no. a good movie. No, this, no. The bones of a good movie are here, but it it, it is wasted I with think this with this it, ta- talent talentless cast. In 1959, who does better? <laughs> who does better? What acting? Right, Whitney Portier. I think Sidney Poitier has the same type of reserve. Miguel Farrar, which is whom, actually, when I read about this stupid movie, who, who I kept waiting to appear on screen, and then when I said, it's like, oh, it's Mel Farrar. I'm totally just, uh, like, in a in a, uh, 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 in a a stupor because I'm waiting for Miguel Farrar to walk in on there, a good, a talented actor. But, um, no, it's, it's this bum. Again, I'm not sure what type of action or yelling you expected from this movie. Again, I want it better. You keep saying better, but better doesn't mean anything. What do you mean better doesn't mean better anything? Better doesn't mean anything. I'm saying that this, you know, I started with, it is this sort of, it, it, it's almost like like the, the, the NBC Tuesday night theater represented or or you know sponsored by Paul Malls and they come out and it is very staged and it is very sort of um <laughs> mannered if you will right. but i think the vast majority of films from the 50s you have this level of mannered acting i mean that's just how people acted in the 50s no it's not it is like this yelling and like, I don't know what you wanted and not for nothing. This movie is 1959. Yes. In 1953, there is an ensemble movie, an ensemble movie. Yes. 1953, six years before this, that contains some of the best acting. Yes. And what is it? Stalag 17. First of all, you can't compare Starlock 17 to this because... Well, you're the, talking about the, the, the acting no, 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 in the no. 50s. I'm saying the racial aspect that is going on, it's going to be a certain level of reserve. And you brought up Sidney Poitier. Okay. And I still maintain that Sidney Poitier, even during the 50s, mm-hmm. there is a level of reserve between these actors. Okay. Now, I maintain... That, what is this woman's name? Inger Stevens. Inger Stevens and Harry Belafonte 
had chemistry. I like them together. They had a chemistry set. Now the lot of it, a lot of it is the script, but they have this kind of breezy relationship. They're friends. She's attracted to him. He's trying not to be attracted to her. Mel Ferrer, the only thing I'll go along with that on you is I think the film made a deliberate choice not to make him an out-and-out villain. But as far as random-ass 1950s movie where it's some white people in a room wearing suits and talking to one another, I don't see how this is any worse than anything else in the 50s. You know, you got this be in your bonnet about Harry Belafonte. I don't know, you know, stole your lunch money or something. But I don't know what else you want from this role. What do you mean, what do I want from this role? First of all, the role that Harry Belafonte has in here, there's nothing wrong with the role. The problem is Harry Belafonte. How do you play this role differently? If you're a black man in night, like how does Brock Peters play this role differently? Because one, Brock Peters in that first 45 minutes when it basically is just him. Yes. That's all. Yes. You would feel. What does that mean? You, you would. It would. There would be a marriage of the imagery, the direction, the script, and the actor's choices. Uh, give me a, an example of a choice that would be different than a choice that Harry Belafonte made, which, not for nothing, you can't be on this screen as no crazy yelling nigga I'm not, in 1959. You don't have to be. No, no, no. So talk to me. Okay. Walk me okay. through it. Okay. Parallel Universe, Brock Peters, what decision does he make differently than what Harry Belafonte made? When he is alone and he's talking first in the mine shaft and he's talking to the phone or communication. Right, right, because they, they hear him initially. And, you know, part of the reason he got out so quickly, they had been digging. Right. But then they stopped. So he was waiting for him to. There would, there, there would have been the sense of trying to create a for lack of a better word a relationship with whoever is on the other end of the line who we don't hear okay right and you would have gotten the se- you would have gotten the sense that Ralph which is which is what the the character's name is is holding on to this phone. Right. In the two minutes that they showed him in total talking on the phone. Well, well, yes, in those two minutes, because in those two minutes, you get the line, you get the lines about how much time has passed. Right. So you would have also, you would have gotten that line, but you also would have felt the weight of that time in the voice in the look. Because he's feeling a little bit more desperate. Right. You don't feel, well, let me put it on me. 
I don't feel any of that is present and what in I'm, Harry Belafonte's yes, and what I'm And then when Harry Belafonte stops yes. hearing them dig and then makes the decision, oh no, I am... Co- I have to dig my I way out. dig my way out of here. There is no type of change in his resolve that is manifest in his in his face or in his actions even as he goes through the machinations of digging himself out a different actor would have given you um would have taken you physically through that story and what i am saying is that in 1959 Brock Peters Sidney Poitier um Ozzie Davis mm-hmm. there's only so much desperate emotion from that moment that they are allowed to put on this screen because in 20 minutes we gonna have you on here with this white woman Mm -hmm. and we have to figure out a way to have you be in this space Mm -hmm. and keep that sexuality in check so what I'm saying I think Belafonte does, I mean, the best, I mean, I'm saying Brock, first of all, they never would have let Brock Peters play this role. Like, I named all these names, but let's be crystal clear. Harry Belafonte, Sidney Poitier, the only Negroes that would be allowed anywhere near this role. Most likely. No, not most likely. Brock Peters and them flared nostrils, they ain't letting him nowhere near no white woman. Ozzie Davis is six foot 13. <coughs> looking like John Henry, they not letting him near no white woman. Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte. Sidney Poitier obviously is a better actor than Harry Belafonte. Like, there's no way I'm, I would even fix my mouth to say that those two are parallel. Having said that, this, I don't feel it. This is not that movie. No, I disagree. This is not that movie. Not 1959. 1959. 1959. The defiant ones is 1958. What's that got to do with a black man and a white woman? And how he is shackled by his potential of emotive outburst. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think he's shackled um, in the beginning of this movie. I don't. I really don't. I, I'm sorry, Vince. I don't. I think he's shackled by his lack of talent in the in this beginning. Again, I don't know who does a better job. Than uh, well, we just. Sidney Poitier. Okay. We just said Brock yes. Peters. No, well, Brock Peters, who couldn't have done this. No, but Brock Peters would have been a, done a better job. Brock Peters would not have been, done a better job because Brock Peters would have been all, again, nostril flared, shirt open, actually desperate. And this is not that role. Well, first of all, I, I think you're doing a disservice. And I think that if the. Uh, the director and whoever producers knowing who they're making this movie for. Yes. Um, Which is why they cast Harry Belafonte. Okay, that's why they cast Harry Belafonte. But if, but I think that 
if Brock Peters was given the opportunity to do this, or if Ossie Davis, or if some other black actor that we don't know, right, that never time, never got a job, right? Well, well, you you don't. Know. I mean, Paul Harris isn't a name at this point, but I'm certainly he probably was acting. Sure. So I'm just saying, right? You know, um, again, yes, I know he's six foot twelve too, but still, I'm just saying, if another uh, actor in in this in this role, I think. I think you can still make, let's put it this way. I think you can make better choices as an actor than the ones Harry Belafonte made in this movie that don't get you in trouble with what's coming next in the script. I don't, I don't, I I, I don't know what they are. Like you keep saying that. Well, I told you. No, you didn't. Because you don't. Because you keep saying better, but what can you do? Like under. What can you do better? Un, no, yes, under the parameters of what we're saying, and and you know we ain't gonna fight about that. The bottom line is a fully actualized, sexualized black actor is not getting this role. Not only is he not getting this role, that ain't the role. This ain't that role. Sidney Poitier, better actor than Harry Belafonte. Absolutely. I'm saying what kind of choice, because I will go along with you. Sidney Poitier is making the same choices that Harry Belafonte is making. He's just better at it. But what are the different choices? Like you're desperate, but you ain't that desperate. You've been down here for five days. You don't really look like you really been down there for five days. Like, you know, at one point he pays lip service to I have to cut my own hair. Talking about cutting this brother don't shave. Yeah. This brother don't sweat. Well, see, I they they lucky they gave me the haircut line because right. I was gonna go there. Because look, this is look, what what year is is my EC story? That they censored because they showed a black man sweating. This is the role. Like, this is the role. And I would rather you say, I don't like this role than I don't like Harry Belafonte. Because this is the role. Like, this is it. Black man, white woman, by themselves, 1959. You, you ain't got no room to move. He damn near is Jackie Robinson. Is that wrong? Is that factually incorrect? Uh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm sorry, no. I still think 1975, I'm riding with you. Absolutely. 1959? Come on, Lynn. No, 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 no. I'm not going to give on on this because the fact of the matter is, if you can only cast two people, right? You can only cast if you if you if you're right, you can only cast Sidney Poitier or or Harry Belafonte. Yes, right. So if you could have cast Sidney Poitier in this in this movie, yes. Let's assume they can't afford him, or for whatever reason. Sure, for whatever reason, right? He they can't get, but but if you if they did get him in this movie, right? You have to imagine that Sidney Poitier also knows the politics of the time. Oh, no doubt. Right? So he so he knows what he he's up against. So he knows if and, and if he's thinking along the same lines as you that, you know, I can't do but so much in the beginning of this movie because they ain't going to let me do but so much in right. the beginning of this movie, right? Fair enough. What I'm saying though is that 
even if then even the Sidney Poitier is cast in this movie knowing that he can't do but so much, he's still going to give you 10,000 times more than what Harry Belafonte is giving you right there. So my so my what I'm saying to you is that Harry Belafonte there is still a, there is still a large gap of room that is just mere talent that is eaten up by talent or lack of before you get to the social mores of the day, you know, bumping up against you. City Portier is going to give you 10,000 times more. How? What does he do? Again, walk me through it. Besides I the fact, did. No, I just did. I just told you what about how you make better, you make different choices as an actor. Give me an example of I a just choice. Gave you, you an actor. No, you choices. didn't, because every so. choice you gave me was something that they couldn't do. No, no, I didn't. Give me no, an example. I no, I didn't. Maybe I missed it. Give I told me, you. I told give me, you. When tell he me finds again. Out, when he finds out that he he's going to have to dig himself right. out of and, there, and what does Sidney Poitier do differently? What he does differently is that in his face. And in his actions, you can see the the switch being flipped where he goes from sitting there holding on for dear life to this to the tether of this phone and making up a, a relationship with here mm-hmm. to the no, I'm going to get my butt out of here because I no longer hear them coming. And you would have seen the, the, the switch in his eyes and in his action. And then as he is trying to dig through, dig himself out of this hole that he has been sitting in for seven days. When Harry Belafonte in this movie hears it, he says, oh, I got to go. And then he almost literally turns a corner, pulls down a couple of rocks, and he is out. You do not. I mean, that's sit- just the set, though. That's I mean, Sidney no, Poitier no, no, would no, do no, the exact I'm, same I'm thing. I'm being dismissive when I'm when I'm going to that degree. Yes, you see him kind of like crawl through some stuff. Yeah, but you never see any of the desperation, any uh, any of it register in his in his sure face or do. in his body. Sure, you do. What he's got more sweat. Yes, they throw some well, more water well, well, on his well, shirt. Well, again, and not no whole lot. Not no whole lot. No, no. I don't. Well, what you? I don't see what you saw because I didn't see any desperation at all. I did not see a change of pace at all. And then once he gets out into the street, I don't see anything. I see him with this weird run that he has with both hands, uh, 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 like like wings on the side of. Yes. Not, I don't know. He's wh- not a runner. I don't know. I mean, is that the Yafit Koto? He plays story? guitar. I mean, I don't know what that, what's going on there. Um, but. The, there's, he's giving me nothing, absolutely nothing. The scenery is giving it to me. So, the set design. So is everybody to me. wrong about Sydney for, about Harry Belafonte. Not everybody. We all wrong about Harry Belafonte. Not everybody's wrong because you even said he, you're not going to say that he's the greatest actor. No, 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 and he's not. But I think he is good enough as an actor, and I think he has charisma. Like you understand why this dude. Became this dude. I think he has charisma. It's not on display in this movie. According to you, it's not on display anywhere. Well, that's not true. Where is it on display? I said he had charisma. I said he had some charisma in, uh, what was it, Carmen? 
<laughs> no, you didn't. You hated him in Carmen Jones. No. I, didn't, I didn't like him, but no, I, you I, hated him in I Carmen him. Jones. Right. You just don't like Harry Belafonte. He's good in the Bill Cosby. No, no. He's, I did. I said right. it's his best yeah. thing. No, he's done by 75. I mean, clean cut, Copacabana, a coconut song, the, the tarantula in the bananas. Uh, Harry Bella again. Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte. I don't see it. Everybody wrong. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. All He's right. a good-looking man. I ain't talking about him being good-looking. Well, that's what everybody's that's what's selling so him. That's it. All that's it. That's it. That is And he it. can sing. And he can sing. I, I give the man I give that's I, it. I, I, He's got that talent. He's got that talent. He can sing. He can sing. And he's and and and, and I will say this: Is he the world's worst actor? Heck, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I would never say that. And and I will also one thing I will say: I'll knock his acting, but I won't. I will never knock Harry Belafonte, the man. I ain't thinking about Harry Belafonte. No, I don't want any. I don't want any missionaries. No, to think I'm knocking no, no, the we're man. We're not talking Harry about his activism because the, the man is no we, we joke. Talking there. About the, we talking about Harry Belafonte in front of the camera at this moment. Made these movies throughout the 50s and 60s. Harry Belafonte. He's not that great, no. I ain't say he was that great. I said he's good enough. Well, good enough, no. And he's fine in this movie. He's not. He's just the best one. I actually like her better than him in this movie. But then you've got problems because she's horrible. What could she have done differently? (laughs) A lot. Again, be convincing. Look, this is the gig. It's 1959, black man, white woman in these movies. And, and, you know, in general, I hate these movies. But last man on earth, here it is. This is the story. I believed that these two people were attracted to one another. Okay. Frankly, I believe they were attracted to one another in real life. Like looking at their at their personal lives and who they ended up with, I think they were actually attracted to one another. Well, that, that's fair. I mean, you neither know, of them are bad looking people. You know, Mel Ferreira. Ain't, look, I ain't gonna fight you at all about that because, frankly, I think the script wanted him to not be, you know, the quote unquote bad guy, so that the three of them can walk off together. But. You know, it is Harry Belafonte. Like, Harry Belafonte ain't no worse than 90% of these people that made these dry-ass movies all through the 50s. Again, they're on, on NBC Nabisco Playhouse. I hear you. All I'm saying, I, I think that there is a lot of meat to be mined here, and I think it is let down by the actors. I think in 1959, this is as good as it gets. I think in 1969, even we might be having a different conversation. And, and as you go forward in time, absolutely. But 1959, uh, look. No, because 1958, you had the defiant ones. So why can't you then no, no, have no, no, this no, no. conversation I'm talking specifically about <laughs> black men and white women. Don't nobody uh, Yes, it? I know that. So if you, can, if you can have the conversation about black men and white white men no, in 1958. No, 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 no. no. Why a, not? Because it's a completely different conversation. It is a different conversation. No, it's a completely different conversation. Yes, I know. Yeah, so the, so defiant, the defiant ones compared to this is apples and spaceships. Let's have it. Yeah. I say so, let's have it. 
Well, you gotta, you're gonna have to find me another movie from 1959 with a black man and white woman then. Like, I need mm-hmm. a frame of reference besides you just hate Harry Belafonte. <laughs> and he could do better. <laughs> he could be better. I you asked for you asked for uh, you know giving you specifics. I gave you specifics. No, 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 if you don't agree no. with him, I can't he help. You didn't that. actually give me specifics. I did so. I you went said, through the whole scene. He, you said he could show more desperation. I went through the whole scene. Yeah, but you didn't. I mean, what does that mean, though? Again, what, what does do you that, mean? What does that mean? He, you're, you're obviously not an actor. It means a lot. When yes. You, yes. Because when you're an actor, it's all about your choices, especially if the scene yes, doesn't have yes. a lot of dialogue. I'm not an actor, but I am an audience. Okay. And I'm saying it's not so much more you could do because, again, in 15 minutes or 20 minutes, we're going to wheel out Blondie. And what we can't have is you making different choices and emoting more, Mr. Clean Cut Negro. You already had to put your own money up to produce this thing. But we both like the sets. Yeah. We did. I'm tired. <laughs> Be tired all you want. Yeah, you just got this. It's like Harry Belafonte in play. Like, I don't know what they did. Kicked you in the nuts or something. What? When came and took your lunch money. He's not a good actor. Like, Harry Belafonte in play came and picked on you when you were a kid. And there are people out there that agree with me about play. And there are people out there that probably agree with me about Harry Belafonte. Not in this movie. I mean, again, huh? You know. People have been told he's a great actor. He's not a great actor. Nobody Who said Harry Belafonte was a great actor? A lot of people say that. No. No one says Harry Belafonte is a great actor. They say he's a great entertainer. And that acting is one of the things that he does. But that's like saying that uh, Sammy Davis Jr. is a great entertainer, and then somebody going to spend an hour talking about him doing them gun tricks. <laughs> like, he looks nice in the suit. He can sing. He, you know, do his little thing. But, you know, Harry Belafonte ain't the greatest actor. But, he again, he's all right. Like, you, you talk about these classic films. There was some dry-ass movies in the 50s. Not all of them. No, no, no. Most of them. Oh, well, that's not fair. Most. That's not fair. That's Most not fair. of them. They they play the strings. And is white people standing in a parlor talking to one another. That's not fair, But it's accurate. No, it's not. It is accurate. Most. I think Harry Belafonte is an average. 50s actor, certainly when you put him underneath the restraints and parameters of a film like this. You trying to look up some with another black man and a white woman? Well, I'm looking Good at- luck with that, because they ain't make the movies. Don't nobody get to be nowhere with no white woman except Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier. And them two Negroes weren't allowed near them that much. What I'm doing is I'm looking up the movies that we have reviewed so far from the 1950s. And we've reviewed before this movie, four movies from the 50s. Uh, Carmen Jones. Yes. With Harry Belafonte. In which you hated him. Yes. I, I'm, I'm reading uh-huh. in, the, 
into the scripture where it says that we were decidedly split yes. over the performance of Mr. Right. Belafonte. Right, right, right. And I can, I can see which way that uh-huh. went. went. Uh, we reviewed the Jackie Robinson story. Right. Well, is, is, is he a better actor than Jackie Robinson? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, we reviewed uh, Anna LaCosta. Anna LaCosta, right. Eartha Kitt and Sammy Davis Jr. Right. Sammy Davis Jr. is a better actor than Harry. Sammy Long Davis Long. is a better actor than Sam. Well, with uh, with some black people. What's the name of that movie with him and the white woman? Is that Kid Dynamite? Or- yeah. Well, we'll have to do that and see how old Sammy does. Okay. Anyway, uh, we reviewed The Mark of the Hawk with uh, Sidney Poitier and Eartha Kitt. Right, and Sidney Poitier is not that great in that. No, no, it's, it's early, early Sid. Right, and it's the 50s, and it's a dry-ass 50 movies. <laughs> and we reviewed... Right. And we reviewed The Defiant Ones, which was an excellent movie. Which was an excellent movie, Absolutely. Better than ninety nine point nine percent of everything that was made between the years of nineteen fifty <laughs> and nineteen fifty nine. Is that not accurate? That's fair, right? So again, but I, but I mean, but average. The Godfather is better than ninety nine percent of the stuff yes. that was made in the seventies. No, no, no. I would never judge the seventies by the Godfather. You the one want to take Harry Belafonte and put him up against I don't you know Marlon friggin' Brando and Sidney Poitier. You know I just I I I just feel like if Al Pacino could have traveled through time and he would have been better in this role. It's like well well yeah that is not what I said. <laughs> That is that is 100% not what I'm I said. I'm just saying. I, oh, my God. I wish one of our actor friends, I start, tell me I'm wrong. But look, I think they, they I understand what I'm trying with, to say. We, uh, there are, uh, again, j- tell me if I'm wrong. There are a certain amount of parameters that an actor is working within in this role. That's what I said. Within those parameters of this role, in 1959, I think Sidney Poitier, one of the greatest actors of his generation, God, would have been better than Harry Belafonte. Yes. But seeing how, as within those parameters, the only two people who could have fit within them in 1959... Were Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier? I think Harry Belafonte did all right. And I think he didn't. All right. Okay. So you would not recommend the world, the devil and the flesh? The world, the flesh, and the devil. I, I keep mixing up the damn name. <laughs> this we, even disagree, we even disagree about that. I hate the name. I like it. Yeah. It, 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 it. There I you mean, go. It, you you got to know it, but it, I, I like it. Um, I don't know if it necessarily, I think I know what they're trying to do with the title. I don't know if it actually really works. Yeah. Um, I kind of don't want people to see this movie, but I kind of want them to see the movie just so they can get the gist of what we're talking about. <laughs> so, so, and it's, it's out there. Yeah, oh, it, yeah, it's it's right on YouTube, and I think it's it's pretty historical. I, th- I think we were talking about like you were talking about uh, the the first black science fiction film, and I mean certainly I don't know if this 
would be considered the first black science fiction film. I got a funny feeling it can't be. But, I mean, it's got to be early. This can't be the first black science fiction. I mean, it's, it's got to be in the, in, in the first five. And even then, I'm being super conservative. Because from what you were talking about the other night, I don't even know if that counts as a science fiction movie. Well, it counts as it's, it's both, I think. But I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. It, it may be. It, 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 you're right. It may be one of the first. Also reminds me of the first black science fiction story ever written, The Comet by W.E.B. Du Bois. Yes. Which is another one with this plot. Apparently when we get black science fiction early, it's, ooh, what would happen if it's a black man and a white woman? Just imagine. <laughs> Apparently that was the go-to. <laughs> You're crazy. All right. Um, so you would recommend this movie? I would recommend this movie. I would strongly recommend this movie. I enjoyed this movie a great deal. Like I said at the very beginning, I think about the day the earth stood still. I think about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And certainly I think the acting in Invasion of the Body Snatchers is more um, active, if you will as we were saying. But I think I think the acting in here is way comparable to the day the earth stood still. Like you want to talk about a mannered um mannered performances by the actors and but again it's it's, it's the fifties. So so I, I enjoyed this a, a great deal and I would recommend it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. The world, the the flesh and the devil. Check it out. It's out there for your viewing. It's available on YouTube for you. Oh, oh, oh. We are celebrating black science fiction all this month here on the Michelle Mission. Before we tell you what is coming up next week, I invite you all to like and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Michelle Mission. Join the Michelle Mission Facebook group where we have lots of fun and conversations. Email us at Mission at gmail.com. Michelle is spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X. And if you really want to help a show, you can please, wherever you catch us, uh, catch the podcast, leave us a ranking and a rating. That is how people find the show. It really helps people find the show a great deal. Mm-hmm. And we're on Pandora. And we're on Pandora. And we're on Pandora. How about that? Yeah. We're on Pandora. On Spotify, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, iTunes, hey, wherever you get podcasts, yeah, you'll find the Michelle. You'll Mission. find the Michelle Mission. You'll also find us in the edited form as a radio show every Saturday at one p.m. on one hundred six point five FM People Power Media, Philly Cam, WPPM here in Philadelphia, as well as you can. Wake up with Michelle every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. All right. Our show is also available on Podglomerate, the Podglomerate network of curated podcasts just for you. Go to thepodglomerate.com for all the deets. All right. It's Black Sci-Fi Month, Vince. All right. Next week, you know, I was going to go in a Wayback Machine. Yes. But you went to 1959. Yes. 
So I said, ah, I don't want to go that far back. I don't okay. want to go further back. So I, I, I stayed in the 21st century. Oh, exciting. I did go back in time, though. Okay. But I only had to go back two years. Really? Yes. 2017. 2017. For a, for a Canadian science fiction film. Oh. That was inspired by Nalo Hopkinson's novel. Oh. The Brown Girl in the Ring. Really? We will be watching next week. Brown Girl Begins. Wow. You know, I teach Brown Girl in the Ring. Do you really? I do. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, the class that I'm teaching it in just started this week. Wow. So, that's interesting. So I'm a big, big, big fan of Brown Girl in the Ring. Well, I, 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 I didn't even know this existed until this exact second, right here in real time. Oh, you weren't aware of this movie? Yeah. Came out, uh, had a very short theatric yeah. run, but it did. Um, and it came out in 2017. Uh, Brown Girl Begins. Oh, yeah. Canadian that's... science fiction film starring uh, Nigel Sean Williams, Shakora Sahida, Emmanuel Kabonga, Rachel Crawford, and Miyasha Brugers Grossman. That's, oh, okay. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. This actually, this film actually uh, premiered at the Urban World, Urban World Film Festival. In 2017, uh, in conjunction, and was released in 2018 in conjunction with Black History Month. Okay. And has uh, deep Afrofuturistic themes. It it does. It does. So Looking forward to this. There you it's go. It's a good choice. Yeah, it's I, a good pull. I try. Harry Belafonte is not in it. Which means it already, it already is a B. Already. B for... Brown Girl Begins. No Belafonte. Round four begins right with no Balafon. Right. Hey, did you see Twilight Zone? I haven't. It's not bad. Yeah, it's I, not bad. I um, I just caught. You know, I was I was looking for it, and then I realized that I had to catch up on Doom Patrol. I I need to catch up on Doom, Doom Patrol. So good. Uh, it is. I'm like two episodes behind. Doom Patrol is really good, man. It's re- it's actually ridiculously good. Doom Patrol is really good. You know what else is really good? What? What else is really Really surprisingly freaking good and fun. What? Shazam. Is it really? I cannot lie. It is a fun movie. Okay. It is a fun. It's everything that everybody was talking about Aquaman. Shazam is actually Shazam is, is the real deal. Okay. Is the real deal. Good to know. And it 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 and when I remember we're we're geeking out a little bit before the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. I remember when in Captain America Civil War. Yes. Love that movie. Absolutely. I love all the Captain America Yeah, Captain yeah, yeah. But there was a moment in the Captain America Civil War when Ant-Man turned into Giant-Man. Yes. I literally turned into a 10-year-old. Yeah. And was like, oh, my God, it's Giant-Man. I said it out loud in a freaking movie theater yeah. with a whole bunch of press guys around me. I did not care. Yeah. I have never had a moment in a movie like that since until Shazam. Well, all right. And when it happens, everybody in the movie was 10 years old. All everybody. right. Everybody. 
Well, that is a strong recommendation for a film that I was a little ambivalent about seeing. Me too. Okay. Fair enough. It's fun. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So you're going to see it this weekend, right? Uh, yes. Okay, good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We can talk about it next week. All okay. Right. All right, we got to go. All right. He's Vince. I'm Len. In parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.